Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with the host of the Dopey Podcast, Dopey Dave. Thanks for coming on the show, Dave. Dopey Dave. Can't you say Dave from Dopey? This Dopey Dave Dave thing is is haunting me. Dopey Dave. I I like it, man. It's got a good ring to it. I I think we should stick with it. All right. It's fucked up when we we started the show because it was (laughs) Dave and Chris from Dopey. It yeah. didn't occur to us that I could ever become Dopey Dave. Like that, that was not in the realm of, po- it would only take Chris dying for me to become Dopey Dave <laughs> and it happened. So there man. we go. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. I, I love your show and I want to talk more about that. You've had a, a ton of really great guests on like we were just discussing and I'm sure you've got some good stories to tell, but I really want to hear your story first, man. So like, what was going on before you got sober? Like, what did life look like? And how did you actually find recovery? Well, I mean, you and I were just talking about relapse and stuff. And yeah. uh, I actually met with my sponsor this morning. And I was talking about uh, about relapse, you know what I mean? And, and, it, and it occurred to me that I've never really relapsed because I never really had any recovery. So like, I was, I just started using, I started using hard i started like smoking weed when i was 20 and as soon as i started smoking weed i smoked every day from 20 to basically 41 and um and then along the way i picked up a bunch of other habits uh i got addicted to heroin and methadone and pills and uh heroin methadone and pills and weed yeah that was basically it and I did a bunch of acid and, and mushrooms and ecstasy and a little bit of Coke and a little bit of crack and a little bit of meth, but those weren't my things. Um, in the end, right before I got sober, I had, I had kicked heroin years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had kicked heroin after my first daughter was born and um, I wanted to have custody. So that was actually when I met Chris was when I kicked heroin finally, and that was in 2011. And I did heroin one more time, but between 2011 and 2015, I I did a bit of Percocets, a bit of Clonopin, a bit of Xanax, and a a lot of weed. And um, basically I was trying to get my family back together, and, um, and my partner was just like, you're on drugs and I don't want to be with you if you're on drugs. And then she found out that I was taking all these pills and she's like, you're going to lose custody again. You know, I had lost custody. I had gotten 18 months of clean time, definitely not sobriety, but clean time. And then I got my custody back and then I slowly integrated like smoking weed again. And once I was smoking weed, I would take a few pills here and there. So like when I got sober, I was in that kind of mode of like, 
no heroin, but a lot of pot um, and a little bit of benzos. And, uh, and I had lost custody and I was so upset um, that I lost custody after, you know, years of kind of fucking it up and trying to fix it. And I remember it very well. It was like my closest thing to a spiritual awakening where I was sitting uh, in my apartment on the Lower East Side and I was writing my partner a letter and it was probably 90 degrees, it was August. And I was trying to write a letter saying, uh, I'll be good, but please let me smoke pot. Please let me smoke pot. You know, I, I, everything else will be fine. I never missed a visitation. I never missed a child support. Just let me smoke pot. And I had this moment where I looked at myself at the computer. I probably had a bong on the side of the computer. I was definitely chain smoking Marlboros. And I was just like, what am I doing? You know, why am I, I'm begging to smoke pot, you know, my whole life, I was 41 years old, my whole life was basically destroyed because I was a heroin addict. And here I am at 41 years old, begging to, to be able to see my, she was five at the time, my five-year-old daughter and, and saying, just let me get high so I can see her. And, and some, something clicked in that moment. And I was like, you know what, this is crazy. And the next day I went to a meeting and, uh, and it was a kid, uh, he was probably 28 and he was celebrating 10 years. And I was like, what the fuck is this? That's crazy. And, uh, and I went up to him and I, and, and he goes, Oh, is today your first day? And I hadn't planned on it being my first day. But when he said that, I was like, and I was so annoyed that he was young and like good looking and in shape and all this stuff. And I was like this mess of a 41 year old. And um, I was like, yeah, I think it will be. And I went home and I called my best friend and I gave him jars and jars of bud. Like I had the stoner's dream of like <laughs> 10 jars with different strains. And I was like, take it. And I called another friend and I gave him all the edibles. And like, I had already gotten rid of the pills and, and I, and I was done. And, and the next morning I went to a, a 7:30 AM, uh, 12 step meeting. And I told my story. Um, my story was forget the addiction. My story at that point was I was separated from my partner and my daughter and I couldn't stop thinking about wanting to be with them. And I was just obsessed with it. And, and I really went to 12 step to get rid of that obsession. You know, like I had always heard that in 12 step uh, philosophy, the obsession to blank will be lifted. And by the time I went, I just needed the obsession to get my family back to be lifted. Wow. So I went back and I told my story and a dude told me he would like to see me there again. And no one had ever said that to me. So I, I, I went there. It was a seven day a week, 730 in the morning meeting. And I started. Wow, that's awesome. How, how did you know, like, had you been introduced to 12 step before? Or how did you know to go to a 12 step meeting? Well, um, I had been on heroin for so long and I had been on methadone for so long. I had been to, uh, I had been to more free detoxes than, than, you know, than I could count, you know, on both sides of the country. And they always would have meetings, you know, people would always bring in meetings. I, I went to a couple of rehabs and every rehab I ever went to, I would go to meetings and, and you would hear the talk and you would see people with time. I just didn't want to get clean. I never wanted to get clean until I got clean, really. Every other time, I knew I should, but I didn't want to be done. You know, I wasn't done. Mm. That's the hardest thing with this whole thing. You know, like, you can't tell someone to be done. They can only be done. Yeah. 
Yeah, man, that's, that's so tough too. Like, because you see people coming in and this was me too. Like I didn't want to be in pain, but like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't done yet. You know, the first time I, the first few like rough patches I hit, you know, like there was pain there. I was broke. Life sucked to some degree, but I just, it, I guess it didn't suck enough at the time. Apparently, you know, it just wasn't, wasn't bad enough. Totally. And, and, and the power of the drugs and, and, and the power of not wanting to face myself was way stronger than any desire to be done. I, I, I didn't want to be done until I, until I got sober. Like that's very clear to me. Wow. Yeah. So you start going to meetings and, and you said you spoke with your sponsor this morning. So I'm assuming you grabbed a sponsor at some point, started, started working the steps. And, and so where do things, where did they, or do you start working the steps? Like where do things go from there? Well, it was like, I had, I had, you know, I had started going to that meeting at seven 30 in the morning and I was like, and I'm an early riser. So like I get up early and, and I was like, this is great. Every morning I'm going to get up and I, I would walk across town to this meeting in this old church. And um, people who go to early morning meetings, they're my favorite kinds of people around recovery because number one, they're early risers. Number two, if they go to an early, early meeting, chances are they want to be there. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I guess it's three in the afternoon, so I'm just going to go or it's right. seven o'clock at night. You know, in the morning, those people are like, they're making it their business to be at a fucking 12 step group at 730 in yeah, the morning so sense. i really love that yeah um some guy approached me in the meeting and he said do you need a sponsor and i was like yes and he goes he says he said i'll get you through the 12 steps fast and i said great um so i was like you could be my sponsor and and like the guy was kind of weird you know he was a, he was a weird guy um and I, in the back of my head, I was like, this guy is not, the, I would not have asked this guy to be my sponsor, but I do want to get through the 12 steps fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we started working the steps and like maybe three months in, he relapses. Mm. And, um, and I always would tell the story that I thank God that God had him relapse. So I can get another sponsor. <laughs> sponsor. Um, um, and the guy is doing well. He's a really sweet guy. That was just a, my joke about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he didn't die. He was all right. You know, and he had a ton of time. It was like God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, which was get rid of my sponsor. Um, and, uh, and then there was another guy in the meeting who had like 30 years, this old Jewish guy. And uh, um, I asked him and he said he would do it. And I, I worked the steps with him uh, pretty quickly. Also, I was like, it was great. It was the first time I had ever done actual 12 step work okay. and it changed my life. And it was, uh, just, it was awesome. And, um, and I, I worked with him for probably, uh, two and a half years. And then he moved to California and, um, and I was pretty much sponsorless for a year or so. And, um, and that's when Chris had died. So it was really bad. You know, I didn't have a sponsor. I was barely going to meetings when Chris had died. Wow. And, um, and I, and I had moved from Manhattan to Long Island and I would go to this, uh, noon meeting, like high noon meeting. And it was a mess. Like, you know, I mean, some meetings are just fucking messes. And I was like, I can't go here. I mean, I, I forced myself to go and I didn't want to be there. And then I found a morning meeting there, an eight in the morning meeting that met on the beach 
wow. uh, on the on the Great South Bay. That's awesome. And I was like, this is the meeting. You know, it's a seven day a week, eight in the morning on the beach. And uh, and I found some dude, and the dude couldn't be any more different than me ever. He like he has neck tattoos. He's a contractor. He has tattoos across his knuckles that say "Real Deal." Only he spells "real" R E E L because he's like a fisherman. And uh, but he's fucking awesome. And like you know, he he believes that uh, his God is love, and 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 the more things he can run through his higher power, which is love, the the better his life becomes. And, and I, I was like, that's great. I was like, I like that. I, I want to be more like that. And uh, I asked him to sponsor me and he did. And I, I talked to him every week a little bit and I see him, you know, a couple times a month and it's, and I'm going to do the steps again with him. And I actually like, I started laying out my plan to do it this morning. So I'm about to oh, do that's it. That's cool. That's awesome, man. So what would you say is the biggest thing that you struggled with early on in, in your sobriety? Uh, in very early sobriety, the biggest thing I struggled with was the continued upset of wanting stuff that I didn't have, of wanting things to happen faster than, than they were going to happen. And that's still my, my, I think that would, that would be my, my number one problem with, with all of it Mm -hmm. is, uh, want my will, you know what I mean? Wanting shit on my schedule as opposed to the bigger schedule, you know? And, um, that's, that's, you know, I think that's my addiction. That's my addict. And that's my, my sober defect. That's my biggest problem. Yeah. I I get that, man. I mean, I remember coming out of rehab, you know, thankfully I only went to treatment one time in, in patient treatment because I definitely did a lot of like suboxone, you know, detoxes and stuff like that. And, um, I got out, hadn't had my cell phone for a while, hadn't been on social media for a while you know, get on Facebook, start scrolling through. And, you know, I mean, I was, I was in my late twenties at the time. I'm in my early thirties now or mid thirties now. And I start scrolling through and like, you know, here I am getting out of rehab. Like I'm broke as shit, have literally nothing going for me. And I see all these people like great jobs, getting married, having kids and man, just like the guilt, the shame, but mainly like, yeah, like, I deserve to be up here and I'm like down here and the whole comparing and, and all that stuff. So I, I get that for sure. Now you, you've mentioned, we, we mentioned the show obviously, and, and you've mentioned Chris a few times who was your co-host and this is who you started the dopey podcast with. And for those who aren't familiar, it's the show about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And you started this with your buddy, Chris. So how did you guys, decide to start a podcast like where did all this even come from initially well um it's funny um basically i had um because i had my my drug career was like i i didn't have another career like when i when i got out of college i became uh i started working in tv and i became a producer in tv and um and i became a heroin addict like immediately Oh, wow. And within a year, I, I, I had gotten a, a big contract. And within a year, I lost the contract, lost my job, got, you know, went to rehab, lost my apartment. And like, I didn't work again for like 10 years or something. Like I just, my life just like became like me living at a girl's house and she paid for everything and I did drugs and that was it, you know, for like 10 years. Like she had two cats and I was like the third cat lying around her house, like on methadone and pills and, and stuff. And um, 
So by the time I met Chris, I, I had started working at a, a deli in Manhattan and, um, and I was a waiter in the deli. Okay. And I had always wanted to have a talk show, you know, and when I was a younger man, I had had a little music talk show and I had always been around like weird creative schemes and stuff. So when I was working, I, I had the idea of making a, a, a show, a web series about a waiter who hates waiting tables and he wants to have a talk show. So he does the talk show while he waits tables. And I, and I made that show and then we called it The Last Jewish Waiter. And uh, I made three episodes of it and people really liked it. And like pretty cool about it. it and it was cool. Yeah. And Chris loved it, right? Chris loved it. And he was like, Dave, you know, I love this. He's like, if, if, if you ever come up with anything like this, uh, I wanna be in it. You know, I, I want to be a part of it. And I'm like, and Chris was like, I, I couldn't imagine Chris doing anything creative. It just wasn't, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it. But then I remembered I had this other friend who was really into podcasts and he, and when I was deep in my addiction, he was like, we should do a podcast about drugs and drug stories. And he put together a reel of some celebrity drug stories. And I was like, dude, you know, you're not a drug addict. I was like, hi, like, this isn't good, whatever. And I like, but somewhere in the back of my mind, the idea stuck. And Chris was like, I want to do something creative. And I had just gotten clean. He had said that like, and I was, I was like probably two months clean. I was miserable. I was separated from my family. And I wound was up- Was he calling. clean already? Yeah, he had like two and a half years. Okay, okay. Um, and, I, and he was such a mess when he was using that when he got two years and I had a few months, I was like, I'm going to call him. And I'm going to see how he did it. And I'm going to take his advice. And like, he wasn't my sponsor, but he was my, like my entire sober network. I called okay. him every day and I would stay on the phone with him and annoy the shit out of him. And he was like, and he was like, I want to be in the last Jewish waiter. And I was like, fuck it. I was like, let's make a podcast about the worst things we ever did on drugs. And I was like, and nothing recovery. I was like, just the worst things we ever did on drugs. And we'll call it war stories. And it will oh just be war stories. And that's it. Like nothing else. And we'll just tell our worst stories and, and people will love it. And he was like, okay, what do I do? And he lived in a, he lived in Great Barrington, Massachusetts in a sober house. And I was like, just come to my apartment and we're going to do it. And he goes, well, what, what do I need to buy gear or anything? And I was like, no. I was like, we don't need any gear. We don't need anything. We'll talk into my computer and that'll be fine. It'll work. Because as far as I could tell, if we bought gear, we wouldn't do the podcast. It would be a waste of money on the gear and we'd have this gear and we wouldn't have a podcast. If we did anything extra, it wasn't gonna happen. You, we needed to put the horse before the cart. I like so that. He, came, yeah. he came to my apartment and he was like, well, what are we gonna do? And, and my vision was strictly the Howard Stern show. Like I love the Howard Stern show and I love how Howard did his show. And I was like, what we're gonna do is I'm going to pretend it's Howard Stern show and I'm going to be Howard Stern and, and we're going to play and we're going to talk about what we're up to. And then you're going to tell a drug story and then, and I'm going to make fun of you. And, and that's what we're going to do. And, and we just, we did that. And, um, and it was super fun, you know, and, and that's how it started. And uh, we couldn't call it war stories because uh, it turned out there was a podcast called war stories that was about actual stories about real, from war. Real war stories. <laughs> And, um, and, and we sat there and we were like, well, what are we going to call it? 
and I was like, I love the word dope. You know, I, I think the word dope is such a good word because like I grew up, I, you know, I'm, I'm 46 now. So I grew up, I was, you know, a teenager in the nineties and mm-hmm. things that were dope was cool. And then, and then when I became a heroin addict, it's like, yo, you got that dope, you know? And then I would walk to my restaurant um, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and there'd be these Dominican guys on Clinton Street and one dude had a black hat and it said dope across his black hat in gold letters, like literally letters made of gold. And, uh, and I can only imagine my grandfather like in a car seeing this kid and being like, look at this fucking dope, like, uh, like <laughs> idiot dope. Yeah, yeah. And, and I said to Chris, I was like, it has to be something with the word dope. And he was like, how about two dopes talking about dope? And I was like, no, let's just call it dopey. And, uh, and then it just like, and we, we, I mean, it's such a, we loved it. You know what I mean? And like, and that was it. And, uh, and we just started and we never stopped. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I love how you just like jumped right into it because I, I think so many people, like when they're trying to do something like this, like number one, most people don't follow through with the idea at all. Number one, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I guess you had already done the show and like, you had done, you know, some production and other stuff before. So maybe you had a little more confidence than most people, but you're like, no, dude, we don't need the mic. We don't need the gear. Let's not get any of that shit. Let's just like do this thing. Let's just hop on and press record and do it. I think that's, that's pretty awesome, man. So you, you start this and it's war stories at first, like now it's, it's changed a bit. Right. And I, a big part of that I would guess is because, Chris passed away, right? So what, what, if you, I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? Like what, what happened with, with Chris and like, um, he relapsed right at, at some point. And, um, and man, I'm sorry to hear that. Like when you and I started, you know, talking initially, I didn't know that. And I'm sure you've lost a lot of, of friends to this disease. And, And I certainly have, you know, way, way too many, a lot more than I should have for sure. Did you know, like looking back, and I'm not sure this really matters, but I am kind of curious, like just out of personal experiences, did you have any idea that he was using again? Like, did you know that this was going on? No, I didn't. Um, And that's very difficult for me. Um, And I think we knew that the show had to be a recovery show, like in the first episode. Because if it wasn't going to be a recovery show, it was going to be like a crazy glorification of drug show. And we didn't want that. We just wanted it to be funny. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. And and extreme. You know what I mean? But but as soon as we did the first episode, it was, we needed to say we were sober so that people knew that we were not getting high after we told these stories, basically. Yeah. Um, But with Chris, um, it was a, a horrible horrible thing and and like when you talk about losing friends and stuff to this disease the truth is like i was a drug addict for you know active drug addict for 12 or 15 years or something and i didn't lose anybody until i got sober and i lost two of my best friends after i got sober wow and uh and and it fucked me up and uh with chris i um i didn't know uh of course in retrospect it's obvious but when I was, we were, when we were doing it, when we were doing the show and when um, he was failing, I didn't realize it was a relapse. I mean, at the time, uh, my partner had 
she was pregnant and we were about to have our second daughter and we were looking for a house and uh, my work had changed a lot and I was incredibly distracted with these things. Okay. And, uh, and, and still like we had started that dopey in, you know, 2015 in December or something. And, and it was 2017 and we hadn't missed an episode. Mm. You know, once we had started making the show, I talked to Chris every day and he was incredibly busy. He had, uh, he managed a sober house. He worked as a sober companion. His last job was actually in Texas. Wow. Um, he, um, he was in uh, college at a PsyD program in Massachusetts. He had a girlfriend who was a, a medical student at Harvard. He, um, he did dopey. He was incredibly committed and busy. And uh, as, you know how addicts kind of like when they use, they become dicks and they become unreliable and they become, you know, not friendly, not around. And, yeah. and that's kind of what, what Chris was doing before he died. Okay. And I just assumed he was done with the show. He was also an intern at a school. He was like a, wow. a social work intern or a Man. psychology intern at a school. So he was like so busy. And, um, and I just figured he had lost interest in the show. Mm. And, um, and we were fighting so much before he died. And it was because he was using you know, because he wasn't himself. And uh, the most amazing thing was that we got to have this conversation the night before he died. Uh, like we were fighting every day um, at the end. And the night he died, you know, he died, um, he died in July on a Friday. Okay. And on Thursday night, he, um, I think he died on July 24th, but I, I get the dates confused. And on the, th on the night before we were fighting because we hadn't done a show together in person in about a month. The last time I saw Chris alive actually was when we went to interview Artie Lang in Hoboken. Okay. And, um, and he wasn't himself that day. Mm. He was not, it was like, it turned out Chris and Artie were totally fucked up and I oh, was wow. the only one sober at the interview. Wow. Um, and I hadn't seen him, you know, in person for like three weeks. And my best friend had died uh, in June. My best friend, Todd, who I used with more than anybody, had died in June. And Chris wound up dying six weeks later. And um, the night before he died, um, he like broke down crying to me, but he didn't say he was using. He said, I love making dopey. It's all I care about. I wish, I, I wish we could just do this professionally. Uh, you know, he was giving me, he was telling me everything he knew I wanted to hear because he was a masterful manipulator. But I also think like there was just some like piece of him that maybe, I think he wanted to tell me he was using and he couldn't right. tell me. Yeah. Uh, but I'm incredibly grateful that we had this beautiful loving conversation. And the next morning uh, I texted him at like, I think I texted him at 6.13 in the morning. And his girlfriend said, you better check on Chris because I think he's in trouble. So I think I texted him at 6.13 in the morning and at 6.14, he texted me back because he always texted me right back. Even if he was asleep, he would text me back and he texted back, I'm okay. Uh, not really okay, but I'm alive is what he wrote me. Um, I'll call you later. Everything's okay, whatever. And uh, at 10 o'clock or something that morning, his girlfriend called me and told me she found him dead. Wow. And uh, it yeah. was, it was crazy I, I didn't even believe it it took me like a day maybe, maybe even took me more than a day to really really believe it 
Yeah. For it to click. Yeah. I get it, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I hate hearing stories like that. Um, but at the same time, like that's really the shit I need to hear, man. Right. It's, right. It, it's, it's a reminder. And it, it also brings to mind for me, Dave, like, I think a couple of important lessons that I've learned in this deal, you know, over the few years that I've been sober and number one, it's that like, you know, you want to give, especially your friends in this deal, you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Like when things like maybe things don't even seem off, but like they are a little distant and, you know, maybe they are busy and it's like, you know, you kind of want to say in your mind, like, or I've, I've done at least like, oh, they're probably busy with family, with work. And, and man, like, I, I want to give people the, that benefit of the doubt, but I think nine times out of 10 with people like us, like what it feels like is going on is probably exactly what is going on. You know, I think for me, like I, I get it. And it's like that old expression, like if it walks like a duck and quacks, it's probably yeah. a, a fucking duck. Yeah. Um, but for me, and, and this is just like probably my own self-centeredness. It's like when I'm clean, I assume everybody's clean. That's you know? the other thing, man. That's what I was going to say. Like, I don't even see this shit sometimes. Like, yeah, I don't see it at all. I'm done. And it's crazy. I'm like, I did this for years. Like, how did I not? Like, there have been times where, like, I've run into an old friend with my wife. And my wife will be like, did you notice he was, like, totally fucked up? And I'm like, no. I was like, well, <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? And she was like, yeah. He was, like, out of it. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Like, I feel so, and that's weird. You know, I think that's really weird because you, I mean, you're an addict in recovery. I'm an addict in recovery. Like mm -hmm. I lived so many years fucked. And I, and when I was fucked, I assumed everybody was fucked. Yeah. Right. And now that I'm sober, I assume everybody's sober. Yeah. And it's just like, I think, I mean, I also think I did some serious damage to my brain. So I don't think I see everything perfectly Slip, clear. By. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I um, you know, you always wish you knew what was happening and you, and, and you always wish that you could um, go back and change something, but you can't. And um, I think when he died, right, I, I think I didn't have a sponsor when he died. And, uh, and I knew I needed a sponsor really badly. So I, I, and my sponsor moved to California. So I sought out this guy who I thought was really bright and wise and, and had a lot of sobriety, you know? Okay. And, um, and he said to me uh, that that, when I told him about my friends that had died, you know, and he told me that was them carrying the message of AA. And I was just like devastated to hear that, you know? And it, but it's true. You know, like, I, I think that Chris's death has, has, as much as I hate it, and as much misery that it's caused me, it, it's, it's done some good for other people. It just not for me. Um, and it, it's, it's like, I know that there are dopey listeners who, who've changed their life because that happened to him. Yeah. Um, it sucks. It's cold. It's fucking, but so is dying, right? It's the whole thing. It's just the worst. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and I get it, man. Like, you know, when I first got sober, I'll, I'll keep this short, but um, one of my best friends died. Like, I'm sorry. You know, sorry. I was, yeah, I was, 
you know, selling drugs before I got sober and, um, you know, I brought up, given him a bunch of pills basically. And he was just going crazy with them. And, uh, you know, found out that one night he ran off the road, head on collision, you know, and uh, man, I blame myself for that for years. And it, it's so crazy because when I was in treatment, like one of my counselors, you know, I kind of like committed to like, I'm going to give this a real shot and I'm, I'm going to take the suggestions and do the work. And my sponsor told me when I was in rehab, some of the best advice I ever got, he was like, do your mental laundry while you're here. Like drop as much of this bullshit as you can. And the steps will, will help with the rest. And, uh, but anyway, like I was, I told my counselor about this and we were like in this group session and, you know, I was talking about how I'd blame myself for so long. And, you know, she basically just asked me the question, like, you know, just said, Hey, turn the tables. Like, do you think your friend, uh, you know, do you think that he would be blaming you? And it's like, no. And she's like, well, there you go. <laughs> it's a tough pill to swallow, you know, it, it, it is, really, man. And I, and I, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And it's like, you know, again, I was, when I was talking to my sponsor this morning, he was telling me about a guy he knew who's uh, got into a fight with his son. You know, he had a teenage son and the son fucking took the guy's gun and, and killed himself. And this happened this week. And, oh, and my sponsor's friends with the, the dad yeah. and like the dad has to live with that, you know, like that he didn't just say the right thing or like, this is the stuff. Like, I mean, when I was getting high, I didn't think, I didn't think about dying from it. Even when I wanted to die, I didn't think that I could die from it. And I don't think Chris thought he could die from it. And I don't think my friend Todd thought he could die from it. But like, I, I think like the, the difference between like oblivion and actual death in the words, there is no difference. But in your action, when you're using, you're not trying to die. You're trying to get high. Yeah. And, and the fact that the outcome can be that it's, it's, it's terrible, you know I mean? And, and, um, it's very easy to blame yourself or, and, and like, do you know how many people wrote me? Like, how could you not know that Chris was using? Like, really? if you listen to the episodes right before he died, he sounds totally fucked up, wow. you know? And I just believed that he was busy and believed that he was exhausted. Uh, Cause he was exhausted. You know, it was late at night. Like I believed it, but if you go back and you listen to it, it's clear as day. Really? And, and there was a time over that summer um, where I kind of like had a conversation with him about it, where he had done some weird shit and my, and Todd had just died. And I was like, dude, what, what the fuck is going on with you? Mm -hmm. And he like sat me down and he told me why it wasn't happening. And I believed him right away. Wow. You know, I, I don't blame myself, um, for any of it, but it just, it, it blows to lose your friend. It you know? does. It does. Yeah. And I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, have dealt with the same thing. And I know a lot of ours have as well. So, uh, man, that, yeah, shit, shitty story. Let's move on to some brighter stuff here, man. It's getting, well, I mean like that's the, but that's the really <laughs> the worst thing, right? The worst thing about it all is me and Chris mm -hmm. start a podcast about drugs, addiction and dumb shit. And he relapses and dies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you know how many people are like, well, you guys had it coming. You know what I mean? Like wow. you, you didn't, you didn't, you, you weren't like holy enough about your recovery. You were, you were fucking with it. And like, and that's, 
another thing that's it's real it happened but like that's not what we wanted to happen that wasn't the point um and i think and, and i just don't think consequentially chris was 10 years younger than me right okay. i had i had uh by the time he died i had two children uh when we started dopey i had one and I, I i had no interest in getting high again i i i just had ruined my life and i didn't want to, I'd, I, the way i decided it was i had ruined the first half of my life mm-hmm. and i was never going to get higher than i had gotten there was not like another level to the high it had <laughs> i had gotten as high as i could get yeah. and my life was it wasn't as bad as it could be, but it was pretty, pretty pathetic. And I said to myself, if this is what my life is like in addiction, I want to see what continuous recovery can get me. You know, I want to see what a life at 41 till however long I get to live uh, clean yields, you know? And so there wasn't like when we were doing dopey and we were telling these stories and we were having fun with it, I wasn't yeah. considering using. Like it wasn't, it was never part of it for me. And I didn't realize that it was for him. You know, he swore up and down that it wasn't, you know, and um, you know, that's hubris, I guess, the fact that we did it the way we did it. Um, And that's hard for me because I did believe in what we were doing and I do believe in what I'm doing now. And I think we had a moment after Todd died where Chris was telling me some fucked up story from a listener or something. And I was like, I don't think it's funny. And he's like, what do you mean you don't think it's funny? And I was like, I think now that Todd is dead, this, this story isn't funny to me anymore. Like it requires, I think it requires clean time for it to be funny. It requires some distance from the last terrible act for it to be funny. And, and, and you can say I was so fucked up and now I'm much better off. And I was an idiot and I was, not living the right way then and now i am kind of thing well yeah that makes perfect sense it's kind of like you know when you're day one maybe you had this experience you know i walked in the room and people were laughing about the most fucked up things in these meetings like everyone thought it was hilarious so like this guy had like wrecked his car and destroyed his life and and i'm just like you know what am i missing here (laughs) you know and now i can look at all the stuff i did and it's funny but yeah to the new person or the person still struggling yeah it's tough so that had to have it sounds like that changed the approach to the show a little bit and definitely after chris died it sounds like things kind of took a a little turn or different direction right it had to you know because we had an audience and the audience loved chris yeah and the audience was using you know a a big portion of the audience was using and and i didn't and and we had lost some of the audience you know two huge dopey fans had died before todd you know and both of them were actually working for the show and and they and they died so like within five months four people in in integral to the show died and um so i needed to change a little bit about the show but i didn't want to change the spirit of the show like the show wasn't a gimmick the show was exactly how i felt about recovery which is like you should have laughs i love war stories i love hearing about the dumbest shit that you've done and i love integrating that into recovery because otherwise i don't think i can do it i don't think i can i can do the pollyanna-ish bullshit like like i think it's like the, the hardest thing is you take somebody who's 
destroyed their life and used every day and done whatever they could to get drugs and, you know, and, and stayed high. And then all of a sudden you're saying, now you have to do the next right thing. Now you need to, you know, turn your will over to a higher power. And all of a sudden it's saying this crazy degenerate has to be this pseudo religious spiritual person. And I think that in itself is so absurd. That was the point of dopey. Mm -hmm. So I needed that piece to stay alive while dealing with the fact that some sort of spiritual life is probably beneficial to drug addicts. You know, I think yeah. it's both, you know? Yeah. yeah and absolutely. that changed. Yeah. It changed. I mean, and I get like, I think the, the humor side for me, and I would say for most people, like it just has to be in our lives. You know, um, I was interviewing a guy the other day, and he was just talking about, you know, he sees the importance in needing to, he described it as like not completely grow up almost. Right. But what I think what he was really saying is like still allowing space for like really like fun in your life, you know, like that you can do both. Like you can do the recovery deal and be serious about it. And, you know, if you're a 12 step person, you know, practice these principles and all your affairs, so to speak, but still like have fun and be able to joke about like some sh sick shit occasionally, you know, and, and I think that's just like part of this. Totally. I mean, it, it's, I mean, for me, if there was no fun, if there was no fun in recovery, I wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if I have to, you know, if I would trade, I would trade no fun in recovery, like a miserable sober life for a life using, even if I was miserable using, but I have so much fun in recovery and I have so much fun laughing at, I mean, I want a dopey to be like laughing at going to meetings. I want a dopey to be laughing about people at meetings. Yeah, I want yeah. a dopey to be like laughing at all this stuff because it's funny, mm -hmm. you know, like also like, I mean, some of the things that we had done were so ridiculous, you know, when we were using that maybe, you know, lots of people don't think the stories are funny, but I do, you know, and, and, and I, I just think it's like next level fucking shit, basically. Um, and, and I also think it's funny when I think something that's so bad is so funny and somebody doesn't think that's funny. Like for me, that's comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so I feel like I, and when he died, like a lot of people were like, are you going to still make the show? Are you going to still make the show? Yeah. And um, I mean, my whole life I wanted to have a talk show. So I was not going to stop making the show. Like I had an audience and I didn't want to stop making the show. I did say, if the show sucks, I'm going to stop making it. And if the show stops being fun, I'm going to stop making it. Okay. And the show wasn't fun for a while after he died. Yeah. I um, it was, it was a lot of work and it was painful and uh, it, it was weird, but it, eventually it got to be fun again. And I, I, I mean, like I always wanted to do something like this. So like to, I mean, I love the puzzle that is making the show. Like, how is it going to work? Uh, who am I going to get on it? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I love that stuff. I love the problem solving. I love the audience. I love making a show and interacting with the audience. So like I, I did it because 
I did at first because I knew the audience like counted on it. Like there were so many people that were like, we listen to Dopey every Friday night, every Saturday night, whatever. Um, and then Chris dies, what am I going to do? Not make the show. Mm. I had to try and deliver it. Sure. And then, you know, it was rocky at first, but eventually it never will be the show it was. But, um, you know, like there are some good aspects to it. It's just not because Chris isn't there. It's, you know, yeah. that sucks. Well, and I don't know Chris, man, but my guess is, is that he probably would have wanted you to keep going. Definitely. Def he definitely would have, you know, he knew how much I loved doing this and he knew how driven I was to do it. And, you know, I don't think if, I think if I had died, I don't think he would have kept making the show, hmm. but he didn't have that same, like, he didn't want to be a talk show host when he was a kid. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? I did. Yeah. Yeah. You had that, you had that drive. I just always drive. wanted to do it. It was yeah. like what I wanted to do. I mean, as weird as that is, it's like my mother would listen to like AM radio in the morning and I was like, I want to do that. And, uh, and then I became a heroin addict and wound up making a podcast about heroin addiction. It's weird, man. So, yeah, it's crazy how things work. And, and you guys have had some really awesome guests on the show. I mean, uh, Andrew Zimmern, the chef. Uh, I'm not even going to name probably some of the, you know, the biggest people in your mind, but like Andrew Zimmern, uh, Dr. Drew, Steve Adler from Guns N' Roses. You mentioned Artie Lang. My, I, there's got to be a, a guest or a story that like sticks out to you. Like as soon as I start rattling people off right here, do you have a, a, a story or maybe like a guest interaction or interview that maybe you could share that kind of sticks out in your mind? My favorite, I mean, my favorite is Artie um, because I was so fucking crazy with Artie, but the most, the most like, Jamie Lee Curtis was like a crazy sort of God weird moment where, um, and Mark Marin was the, mo Mark Marin was the most, the biggest example I have of a, of a quote unquote God shot I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. He's like evidence of, he's the closest evidence I have to some like higher power at work orchestrating the universe. And um, I mean that like basically, Chris had died and it was like, I don't know. I think he had died in the summer and it was in the late fall. Okay. And, and we had had Steven Adler on, we had had a few people on, but Steven Adler was not good on Dopey. It was a fucking train wreck. You know, we had a bunch of guests and it just wasn't good. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and then I had booked this guy called uh, David Chef and David Chef is a writer. He wrote the book, Beautiful Boy. Mm. Uh, which was a movie about his son, Nick Chef. And Nick okay. Chef wrote Tweak. And Nick Chef wrote uh, We All Fall Down. He was a big addiction writer. Yeah. And David Chef was a journalist for uh, Rolling Stone and Playboy. He had interviewed John Lennon. And Beautiful Boy, the movie, had just come out. Okay. And he had agreed to come on Dopey. And I was waiting tables at Katz's. And I'm standing at, I'm about to pick up some matzo ball soups and bring them to the table. And, I, and I'm looking at my phone obsessively, which I do, and I see that David Chef has canceled, uh, canceled the appearance. He said in six months he can do it. Meanwhile, his movie's out now. And I was like, dude, I want it now. I don't want it in six months. Who cares? Right. Come on in six months. Yeah. You're important now. And, uh, and I was like, the show's fucking done. I was like, I, don't, I was so frustrated. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
and I and I go up to the maitre d, and the maitre d was like vaping uh, nicotine. So I take this nicotine vape, and I go out on the corner of Houston and Ludlow, and I'm and I'm vaping, and I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm gonna do like with the show, and I and Mark Marin comes walking down the street, like wow. literally, like in that moment, he I, and I walked up to him, and I was like, Are you Mark Marin? And he was like, Yeah. And, uh, and, and I was like, oh, my name's Dave. I do this show, Dopey. And he had heard of Dopey because I tweeted at him like a hundred times about coming on. And he's like, oh, you're the annoying guy that always tweets at me. That's and, um, and I invited him to, uh, to come and have breakfast the next morning at Katz's. And he came and uh, I told him the story. And he was, like, he was like, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't do it. And then he wound up inviting me to his hotel room and uh, we recorded it on his gear and he recorded the whole thing and it was wow. fucking amazing and then a year later we were coming up on our 200th episode and i was in this terrible mood and i had actually just celebrated four years and there he was again sitting across the street wow. and i recorded and he recorded something for the 200th episode so like Marin is like he is like my little celebrity higher power story and and also like the interview with him was really good you know, he was amazing. So that's, that's that was my favorite. Jamie Lee Curtis, I met at that restaurant too. I mean, I work at the most famous deli in the world. It's called Katz's Deli. Yeah, and yeah Katz's. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I met her there. She was like buying a bagel for, for Christopher Guest, her husband. And uh, she's walking out of the store. And uh, I run out the back door. And I like go to the front door like Bugs Bunny. And I like light up a cigarette. And I'm standing there hanging out. And I'm like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Like acting like I didn't realize. Yeah, like, oh, wow, that's weird. Fancy, yeah, exactly. yeah, fancy to run into you here. <laughs> exactly. And she was like, oh, hi. And I was like, I was like, listen, I'm a drug addict in recovery. And she's like, I'm a drug addict in recovery. And I was like, I do this podcast called Dopey. And she goes, I'll do it. And I was like, great. And I like take out my waiter pad and I write down like dopeypodcast at gmail.com and I give it to her. And, um, and Chris was still alive then. And, uh, and I told Chris and Chris like never got excited about anything. And he was like, holy shit, Jamie Lee Curtis. And he told his mom and whatever. And then over the weekend, um, I'm taking my daughter shopping and we get, I, we get this email and it doesn't say Jamie Lee Curtis. It says yeah. some other name. Okay. And she's like, so what are we doing? And I just figured it was some wacko. And I was like, what do you mean? And she writes back uh, podcast. And I wrote back, you mean like do it? And she wrote, yeah. And then Chris calls me and he's like, I think that's Jamie Lee Curtis. And I was like, fuck. And I, and I figured out it was her, like deciphering her email, which is okay. her name. I just didn't realize her actual name. And, um, and fucking, then I sent her a link to the email or to the show. And she's like, I'm not doing your show. And I was like, why not? And she goes, you guys don't take your recovery seriously enough. And she bailed. And she didn't come on the show until after Chris died. Because it was wow. that that was like how it would be serious for her. Wow. Wow. Yeah. She I was gonna say she is like dead serious about her recovery. Like very super, serious lady. Very super. Serious. Yeah. Wow. Man, that's crazy that she came on though. Oh yeah, it was fucking cool. And she like we just did this thing in honor of Chris's death called Dopey Day, where everyone in the audience put the dopey logo over their eyes on the day he died. And oh, wow. she did it. She, she posted herself with the Dopey logo for wow. Instagram, which was very generous of her. Marin wouldn't do it. Mark Marin said no. Hmm. Hmm. Well, he shows up when you need him, though, right? 
<laughs> yeah, he does. He does. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. So what, what, what's next for you guys? Like what's next for the dopey show? Fucking dopey show. Um, you know, I want it to be like the biggest thing in the world. You know what I mean? Like I want it to be like, like I want it to be like a TV show and I can stop wearing the stupid sunglasses. I want it to be like live with Regis and Kathy Lee. Like I want it to be like a sunny morning show where we talk about the worst things we ever did while we drink coffee and like make scones and shit. And like <laughs> Young comes on and plays. That would be awesome. Band. You know, that like would be awesome. I would like to like go to like detox and have the, the guys in detox sing karaoke or go to rehab and like take them out begging in the streets, like do weird just like I want it to be a way for addicts to have fun and feel like they're part of something that's positive and fun and they're not losers. It's like all we wanted to do was have fun. We, we wanted to feel better. We didn't want to like destroy anybody's life. You know what yeah. I mean? Like worst case scenario is we wanted to avoid pain. Best case scenario is we wanted to have a good time. But either way, like in sobriety, shouldn't we be having a good time and like looking after each other in a positive way? And that's what I want Dopey to do. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love that. I love that. So, you know, you talked a little bit about like, you know, having a uh, talking to your sponsor this morning, getting ready to go through the steps again. Can you tell us a little bit more about just what your recovery looks like today? Well, on a good day, you know, I get up in the morning and I pray and then I do push-ups, and then I do sit-ups, and then I meditate, and then I put on like Howard Stern or Mark Marin, and I do more push-ups and sit-ups, and then I get my baby, and I give her a bottle, and then I like take her to Starbucks and buy coffee, and then, uh, and then I start working from home. You know, that's a good day, and a bad day, I wake up and I get the baby. <laughs> you know what I'm um, my life is just like work, you know, I've been working uh, from home for Katz's, setting up catering stuff, and my life is dopey. You know, it's those two things, and my life is my family. That's you know, awesome. and my recovery is, um, you know, when I struggle, you know what I mean? And I don't struggle in terms of wanting to use, but I struggle in terms of getting angry yeah. or getting resentment or feeling a certain way about something or being fearful. I mean, my sponsors, like, that's when you need to turn to your higher power. You know, you need to, to recognize in those moments that, that you can get out of it. And then, and then once you can do that, he says, and when you're feeling good, you need to turn to your higher power so that it becomes part of your, you know, every kind of action. And when, and when your higher power is in all of your actions and in all of your affairs, you're going to be much better off. And, and like, I am not like at that level at all, um, but I get it now. You know what I mean? Like I get it. Like I see it like, like my character defects come a calling like constantly. And, and some of them are so familiar that I'm happy to see them. They're like old friends and I don't want to give them up. But like when I hear about, like I have a very close friend who struggles with, uh, you know, like feeling that she's not good at stuff. Okay. And it's like, and I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm like, come on. I was like, how many times are you going to tell me this story? Like, why don't you use your higher, cause she's in recovery. I was like, why don't you use your higher power and, and overcome this character defect? You know what I mean? Do a little step seven, like give it up, find a way to do it. And, and I think, you know, that's the next level of my recovery is trying to actually use my higher power, uh, 
in a way to improve my life. You know what I mean? Like, and I, it's, it's just, I don't do well with the bigger spiritual picture. I feel uncomfortable uh, being a quote unquote child of God and, and speaking that way. Mm. And I know deep in my heart, I actually feel that way. I just haven't crossed the bridge to being able to really effectively speak that way. And I'm afraid of, of talking more like that. And my sponsor is always like, you should talk more about God on Dopey. He's like, the show will blow up if you talk more about God on Dopey. And I'm like, I don't really want to. Um, but I do, you know what I mean? I'm trying yeah. to find a way to bring it in, in a way that it kind of shows how easy it is to be scared of being spiritual, mm-hmm. you know, and that spirituality isn't necessarily religious fanaticism. Like my father hates uh, religion um, and he doesn't understand the difference between spirituality and religion. And he doesn't, and for some reason, like, he wanted me to be well for so long. And, and the only way I got well was through spirituality. And he, he like puts it down without understanding what it is. And it's, it's, it's very complicated. Don't you think? Yeah, no, it's, it's really complicated. And man, I, you know, I hear you 100%. I never thought that I, and I like, I kind of talk about my spirituality on the show, I guess, like when other guests are um but i get what you're saying 100 it's still like almost an out of you know i'm I'm seven years sober and it's still almost an out of body experience sometimes for me to even be thinking that i would ever be talking about spirituality much less on a show that a shitload of people are gonna see you know and and really like when i first started sponsoring guys for instance I was scared to mention the spirituality thing, but like, here's the deal, man, is that that's not true to my story. I I was super anti spirituality, religion, like, you know, the religion thing, I don't want to say it was beaten into me, but like, to some degree, like, like the experience that a lot of us have, you know, it's like our parents, higher power or whatever. And that wasn't working for me. And, um, man, what changed my life was really giving prayer to like something that I didn't even know what the hell it was like an honest shot. And that along with like, you know, the 12 step stuff and and other things too, like the spiritual side was really what changed my life in such large part. And I was scared to mention it to these guys, because I didn't want to scare them off. And then it got to the point where it's like, you know, that's not just not being like, honest or true to what my experience has been and I finally just got to the point I was like look you know if the spiritual side of this is going to be what scares these guys off then so be it you know and um but yeah they're not ready for it at that point you know what I mean they're not ready for the actual solution yeah no and it's like but it's like this is the, the my favorite thing about it. It's like when they talk about honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. I was always honest. Mm-hmm. And I was honest to a fault. And I was always open-minded. Right. But I wasn't necessarily willing. Yeah. And when I went to 12-step, I didn't really have a, a relationship with a higher power whatsoever. No. But it occurred to me that if I was willing to have one, that was the only way that this could work. Yeah. You know, yeah otherwise, sounds, yeah. it couldn't work. And somebody who's like, 
I want to get clean. I want to stop doing this. I want to stop drinking. I want to stop using heroin. I want to start, stop doing this, but I hate 12 step and I don't want to deal with God. Well, that means you're not willing to do it. Do you know what I mean? And like, you need to like decide you're willing to do anything. So if you decide like the idea that you're not, that you're the biggest thing in the universe is like, it's like, that's not true. You know, the ocean is bigger than you. The sky is bigger than you. The, 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 the earth is bigger than you. Just realize that you're not the biggest thing and ask somebody for help. Ask the universe for help. It will work. It's like, yeah. I don't have an, an explanation for how it works. And my, my spirituality, like, is a little bit deformed and retarded and, like, not really functioning in, in, in the highest way because I'm a little bit scared of it. I just know that I do it and it works, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, I, I get it, man. And look, I see, I'm someone that can see like without judgment, all the different sides going on. And, and I've said in almost every episode recently, like one of the reasons that I was excited to do this show and like, I, I like doing this show more and more is because I learn more about different people's recovery and like what they're doing and some people aren't doing 12 step stuff and I learned things about that and I've become a lot less judgmental about that because when I first got sober I was like you know it's 12 steps or you're not and um, but I get what you're saying you know I think with me man the spiritual side of it it was for me either I am going to be honest open-minded and, and willing to just like give these suggestions a shot or I'm going to die. Like that was it. it. It was black and white. It was one or the other. And I was just like, man, I'm like, I, I don't want to say I didn't have a choice because I did or whatever, but I had to give it a shot. Like that, that was it. That was it. And it's a cool thing because I, I think, you know, what I hear you saying is, is that it's not just about staying sober anymore. It's like, you're seeing that the spiritual side of things can like open up more doors for you in life. And I think, that's pretty awesome. I cannot believe how good my life is. Like, mm -hmm. like in, in my worst moment, I wish Dopey was, you know, Dak Shepard or Joe Rogan or something. And in my worst moments, I wish that Dopey was bigger. I wish that I didn't have to rely on a real job. I wish that, uh, that everything, you know, that we, that our two-year-old was easier, that our house was cleaner. I wish those things, but like, in every other moment, like, like last night I took my daughter to the drugstore, like to pick up a prescription for my wife and, and to pick out some ice cream and, and me and my 10 year old are, are standing, looking at the ice cream, talking about the flavors. And I was just thinking like, this is the greatest moment I've ever had in my life. You know, just discussing ice cream flavors with my daughter and going home and eating ice cream and watching Naked and Afraid XL. Like I couldn't ask for more than that. And it's, it's only because I got sober. Like I, I would not have, I, my life is so good. And it's all because of that, you know, like, and, um, and what you just said, I had the exact same experience. Like when Chris was alive, like people would be on Suboxone or on methadone or smoke weed or drink casually. And I'd be like, they're full of shit. Like that's not real recovery. That's not this, that's not that. And, um, and that's because it wasn't that for me. You know, when I was on methadone, I, I smoked weed and I took pills and I did coke and I shot dope and I did everything. And I didn't really participate in the actual program ever. I always did what I wanted. And it occurred to me, like, 
just because they can't do 12 step or have an aversion to 12 step, like why would I bash them? And I think I just liked being controversial when Chris was alive, like it was fun. Yeah. Like I could be a big mouth and he could be like, defend everybody's choice. And then after he died, it became obvious to me that all I could do is advocate for addicts, you know, on a very basic level for their quality of life and for their, their happiness. And I couldn't give a fuck if somebody does 12 step or takes methadone, if their life is better and they have that burden off of them, I support them, you know? And, and I, it's like, it's, I'm so happy that I can be in a situation that, that offers some comfort to these people because I I'm one of them, you know? Yeah. Man, well said. Very well said. Before we wrap up, I, I want to ask you if there's maybe one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation, whether it's to, you know, someone new in recovery or, or someone that's having a tough time, or if there's anything that, that maybe you could share. Well, I mean, I think what I like to say and what I really think is the most important piece, it's like, let's say you're in the beginning of your recovery and you're having a tough time. Like, there's nothing I can say to prevent you from, from going out and using and doing what you want. But what I, what I think is give it six months and, and follow the suggestions, you know, and, and, and do everything they tell you to do and tell me your life doesn't get better. You know what I mean? It's like, it's very simple. I, I see it as like, I, I never got time. You know what I mean? I never got any time and I never got any recovery. And, and, and then my convergence happened, but my convergence happened because of fear of losing touch with my kid, of not being able to see my kid and realizing that my life was meaningless um, without that. Like what kind of life would I have if I couldn't see her? So I imagined my recovery as kind of me sitting next to the ocean with a bucket, you know, like a, a bucket, like a kid fills up with sand. But I have this empty bucket, right? And I have the ocean and I have an eyedropper and I'm filling up that bucket with an eyedropper. So that's gonna take forever. And what I wanna do is make sure that bucket doesn't spill because I need to fill it up. And if, and if it spills, then it's gonna, I'm gonna have to do it again and it's gonna take forever. So I, I always imagined it like that. And if I protect it and I protect my bucket and I keep doing it, it's gonna fill up. And it's not going to spill, and it, and it's gonna it's gonna be safe because I protected it. And I think if you don't protect it, it spills. And you have if you're lucky, you get to start filling it up again. And if you're not, you fucking rattle off into the ocean, or 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 you don't get to do anything. It's like life is full of such amazing possibilities, and they're very hard to come close to when you're using. I guess that's my advice. Yeah, no, that's awesome advice. And before we got started, you had mentioned the word vigilance, you know, that, that people in recovery need to remain vigilant. I think that's, that's so perfectly put, you know, we, we've got to stay, stay on top of this thing and, and remain, uh, remain vigilant and, and stick with it. But I, I'm with you, man. Get, give it a little time. Yeah. Give it some time. And, and like, and, and, and the biggest piece of advice is have fun. 
you know, make sure, have fun, do things you like to do. If you like to eat ice cream, eat ice cream. If you like to watch TV, watch TV. If you're like, if it's nine o'clock and you want to use, watch a TV show until you can go to bed and then go to bed. You know what I mean? Like distract yourself, just constantly run things in your head to get away from that thing. I mean, if you can get spiritual right away, good for you. It took me years to to adopt prayer and meditation to a point where it actually works. And for me, like the Sopranos and the Wire and Mad Men and Haagen-Dazs and fucking Tate's Cookies and Entenmann's Cakes, like were my firepower. And like, I have a pint of uh, Ben and Jerry's chocolate therapy waiting for me right now. And I'm super psyched to eat it. Like, just have fun, you know, do your best to have fun. I mean, that's the, it's like, cause there's like, I love that we are not a glum lot, right? There is no point of doing this to be miserable. You know, that's not the point. It's not, it's not. Man, that's, that's awesome advice. So you can check out Dave and the Dopey Podcast on Apple Music and Spotify or by visiting dopeypodcast.com. Thanks again for coming on the show, Dave. That's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at RC vrhealth.com and again whether you're listening to the show on spotify apple podcasts or watching on youtube please share this with your friends follow subscribe and leave us a review nation thanks for tuning in and i'll see you next time